your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Good snap to him. Hangs one up. This is a pretty good kick. Spielman drifting over. Makes a backpedaling catch of the 25. Eludes attacker. He's got some room. 25, 30, 35, 40. Cutting back to the midfield. He's down the near sideline of the 40. 35, 30, 25, 40, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, J.D. Spielman from 75 yards. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Hump day. Start to get the juices flowing a little bit, right, for Saturday, Huskers, Buffaloes. Yep, you can start getting fired up a little bit. I know some folks have already departed for Boulder. Some Oscar fans have already started to make the journey out on I-80 West. Get out there. Do some sightseeing, see some friends. Get fired up for Saturday's game. 2.30 kickoff, 9.30 pregame coverage here on the Husker Sports Network. Welcome to our Wednesday edition of Sports Sunday here on the Husker Sports Network. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you. So glad you've dialed us up to be a part of the program tonight. Here's what we have on the show. A practice report coming up in a couple of minutes. The offensive coordinator, Troy Walters, met with the media today. As the Oscars prepare for game two of this 2019 season, we'll hear some of his thoughts about an offense that sputtered, quite honestly, in Saturday's opener against South Alabama. We will have our Big Ten Blitz coming up in hour number two. We'll check in with what's uh, some previews of some games going on with Illinois, with Maryland, and with Ohio State, all matchups that are pretty intriguing in their own right for this coming weekend for college football. So we'll see what's happening at those three schools. We will have our first Big Red replay contest of the year. Give somebody a chance to be a winner from the Nebraska Lottery. That's coming up in hour number two. Third hour of the show, it is week number two of this season of Buy, Sell. We'll get some questions, some answers from last week, and some new questions from Brett and Josh coming up in hour number three. And we'll talk some Major League Baseball with our insider, Lane Grindle, also coming up in the third hour of the program. Well, let's talk some Husker football. We'll hear from Troy Walters in a couple of minutes, Ben, but the offense is – Rightfully so. They're they're frustrated with what they saw in week one. Uh, Mario Verdusco, Husker coordinator, uh, quarterbacks coach, said today that it was he called it, quote, a piss poor performance. And he said, myself included. He goes, Adrian wasn't very good and I wasn't very good getting him ready to play. Um, I love the fact they're owning up to it. They know that it wasn't very good. And I would be more concerned if I haven't hadn't seen a year of what Adrian can do on the football field. Yeah, I think the the ownership and the responsibility, you know, it all goes back to what we we, we talk about with the players all the time about being accountable, holding themselves accountable for, you know, what the what what they do. And unfortunately, the offensive performance wasn't something that any of us expected to see. Uh, It just was a really tough day, tough sledding for the Husker offense after that first drive the rest of the day. They had a hard time getting the run game going. Adrian never got in a rhythm. The snaps were poor. Uh, I feel like he had open receivers a lot and and just couldn't hit them. And, you know, I think that was just a very frustrating day and a humbling day for everybody on that side of the ball. And, you know, by all accounts, it, it's gone – this, this week of practice has gone a little better than last week, and you hope that leads to better results on Saturday. Adrian knew it right away. I mean, you saw him in the hallway after the game on Saturday. He was not happy. He knew that it was not a good performance by him or the offense. Yeah, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't. And I think when you, you know, look at the like the first game, there's always a, the most evaluation after that first game, and, and people want to jump to conclusions, and that's fine. You know, you're entitled to your own opinion, but – I think it's a it's a course of a long season. It's you know a fourteen week season, a couple of bye weeks sprinkled in this year, and you just hope they can start taking care of business this week in practice. And as Coach Frost said, that's not the team that I've seen in fall camp. And um, the, the the coaching staff and the, specifically on the offensive side wouldn't say all the things that they did about their boys if they didn't have full trust in them. That they didn't say that you know just to you know start the engine to the hype train and let that thing run run rampant they they said those things for a reason and uh, I'm hoping that they can get back on beam and you know be a full go against the buffaloes on Saturday I've told a lot of people this week Ben one game does not make a trend 
Now, if, if this week the offense sputters again, I, I think maybe you have some concern. But one game is not a trend. It's one game. And this offense certainly has something to prove. And I think they're going to be fired up and ready to play on Saturday against the Buffaloes. This, this certainly, this Colorado matchup, you know, during the 80s and 90s when Bill McCartney became the head coach at CU, he, he really made it a point to make this a robbery. He wanted to keep Husker fans out of Folsom Field whenever Nebraska played out there. In fact, Colorado ran Bill McCartney out there on Monday at their press conference. He was up there alongside Mel Tucker, came on after Coach Tucker did his press conference and talked about the the glory days of fighting the Big Red back in the late 80s when he took over as head coach and their, their magical run in 1991 to a national championship. Well, Denver Post columnist Mark Kisler has added some fuel to the fire. He uh, has penned a column that came out today's, and I'm just going to read part of the column to you, and this will probably get your blood going a little bit here. He said, hey, Bobs, it won't be easy, but as the bug eaters return to Folsom Field for the first time since 2009, kindly refrain from the Nebraska jokes. Here in Colorado, we're better than this. Quote, how do you know that the tooth... The toothbrush was invented in Nebraska. Well, anywhere else it would have been called a teeth brush. In fact, may I humbly suggest a new theme to honor this rivalry, give a Husker a hug. Uh, then he kind of goes back through the rivalry a little bit. And he says, yes, Nebraska's ranked 25th in the newly released Associated Press poll after beating South Alabama. And he put in quotes, South Alabama, question mark. What was Shadron State not available, question mark. But anyone who watched the Huskers huff and puff and strain to win their season opener knows that they are a fraud as a top 25, ripe for Colorado to knock off. Since 2015, Nebraska's record is 24 and 27. During that same time frame, Colorado is 25 and 27. While the Buffs have been no great shakes on the field of late, college football defines Nebraska, which has been in a state of depression. So give a Husker a hug. Kind of goes on through about rivalries, and that usually rivalries turn into some pretty clean football games. But at the end um, of the column, and this is the part that uh, that will I think get folks fired up a little bit. He says, "Give the Huskers a hug." Goodness knows, after the embarrassment of losing to Colorado two years in a row, they're going to need it. <laughs> How about that? Whatever, dude. <laughs> tell yourself when you need to tell yourself. And, and usually when articles like that are written, and most of the time it's to our neighbors to the east and not to the west, Yeah, uh, I feel like there's a certain amount of envy and, and jealousy that comes out in that type of writing uh, to pretend like they're above the history of Nebraska football or the traditions of – our great state or our great fans uh, or our Heisman Trophy winners or our five national championships, countless conference championships, the, there there comes a certain degree of envy and uh, and jealousy. And I feel like that, that truly came out in that article. Uh, clearly this poor gentleman has a lot of, you know, bitter taste and hard feelings towards our state and to our program and, you know, feels a way that, you know, a false confidence and a false arrogance coming from – you know, in recent years, one of the worst Power Five teams in the country. Uh, I don't know that you're any source of gloating. And nowhere in that column did it appear, Ben, that their victory over Colorado State Friday snapped a seven-game Buffalo losing streak. So in their last eight games, they're one and seven. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. Good for you guys. You're one and seven in your last eight games. Uh, you know. You're right. I mean, you write that kind of a column. One, I know you're you 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 got your you got your Buffalo fans who are chuckling about it, and you're you're writing it for them. But he also knows it's going to get reaction in this state. I'm talking about it tonight, so he's he, he certainly pulled me into this thing. But that's fine. You want to make fun of Nebraska, Colorado can't isn't really in position right now to be making fun of anybody with what they're doing. The fact they have a first year head coach because their season completely collapsed last year losing their last seven games but i get it gets me fired up gets me wanting to go out there and do some do some business on saturday if that was ohio state or wisconsin you know that that had some leg michigan that has some right. legs but stay in your lane a little bit right you just snapped a seven game losing it's skit. not i mean and, and and you're in 
you are in the cellar of Power Five conferences. Yeah. And that door is locked to get out of the cellar. That's exactly right. That Pac-12 has just been miserable, and they've gotten off to another miserable start this year in college football. And and Colorado was right at the bottom of that league, along with Oregon State. Those are the two laughing stocks right now in Pac-12 football. Now, certainly, I think they can beat Nebraska. Can they beat Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they can beat Nebraska Saturday. They beat Nebraska here a year ago. It's up to the Huskers to go out and do that. But to be kind of poking fun at Nebraska in the toothbrush comment, that's – Wow, that's great and clever. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think the toothbrush was invented in Nebraska. I mean, if you want to talk about spam, yeah, it was invented here. If you want to talk about some other Kool-Aid, it was invented here. That's fine. But the toothbrush comment, boy, that's pretty sophomoric. All right, time now to get into tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. With JTEC Construction, it's simple. When it's time to replace your windows, give the official exterior experts of the Huskers a call for a free, no obligation assessment defense day yesterday offense day today as Wednesday always is offensive coordinator Troy Walters meeting with members of the media following the workout uh, this morning and of course right off the bat uh, addressed the struggles that Nebraska had offensively and perhaps shed some light on why that happened probably detail was number one uh you know I think guys flew around we had good effort just the details across the board wasn't there and then this offense if you've got uh 10 guys doing the right things and one guy not on his detail, then the play's not going to work. And so because of the detail, we didn't have any rhythm. And it didn't feel like we could get anything sustained. You know, the first drive we went down and scored. But other than that, it was just a, a choppy game. And it really comes down to just detail. And that's on us coaches. You know, we got to coach detail. or We got to demand it out of our players. Um, we probably had too much in uh, for South Alabama. You know, you have a whole offseason. You have... Uh, you know, you start preparing for them a little earlier than normal. And so we probably had too much. And the guys couldn't really hone in on what we wanted to do. And uh, we just didn't have, didn't have the detail needed to, to be a great offense. Heard from a lot of people that, you know, maybe Nebraska didn't open up the playbook enough. But here we maybe see the opposite. Yeah. Maybe gave the guys a little too much meat to chew off. Kind of contradicts that, doesn't it, a little bit. But it does make sense. Sometimes you try to throw – you because you feel like you're year two. You've got an experienced quarterback. You can do a lot more things. And then you just kind of load yourself down too much. So maybe you, you pare it back a little bit and just worry about execution. That, that sometimes could be the, the switch that you need to flip. Well, the number one question everybody has, the concern level. Is there any concern about the offense? Here's Troy Walters. No concern. No concern. You know, uh, last year, if we'd have played like we did, we probably would have lost the game. But the defense, kudos to them. They showed up and showed out and created turnovers. Special teams did a great job. And so, you know, we, we won the game. But uh, to a man on offense, it, it, it almost felt like uh, because we didn't live up to our standards, it kind of felt like we, we didn't win. And, and that's a good, good issue. You know, the guys aren't satisfied with the product we put on the field. And so uh, they've come back this week with great focus and energy and detail. And I look forward to going to Colorado. Well, that's just what you hope. You know, you hope they bounce back with that type of mentality and, and don't want to see that that part again. Just come out and have things go a little differently this time around. Motivation. I think they'll be motivated. Well, you mentioned a little bit of it right there, talking about motivated and, and, and practice. Where is this week in terms of practice compared to last week? Yeah, last week was just was just average. Uh, this week, much better, much better. The guys came out Monday with with a great attitude. We know we put the put the South Alabama in the past. Uh, came out Monday, focused. Tuesdays, a longer practice in pads outside. The guys uh, pushed through that, had great detail, and then today was even better. So um, the guys should have confidence going into uh, going into Boulder, hostile environment, uh, a good football team. They should be a lot more confident based on our practices this week. You mentioned sophomore quarterback, new running back in, in Dedrick Mills. Got a couple of new wideouts in the system. Uh, wide receiver slash running back in Wandale, Conovai Noah. You've got some different parts on this offense. What's the chemistry like with these different parts on his side of the ball? Yeah, chemistry is good. You know, we uh, – guys – Love playing with with each other. Um, we've got great chemistry. There's no egos. Uh, we're very young. You know, we don't have a whole lot of seniors and and veteran leadership. And so uh, we're still young, still trying to find out who the 
alpha guy, alpha dog is. Um, but I love our chemistry. You know, the guys, there was no pouting. There was no, you know, we didn't get negative on the sideline, even when we didn't perform that well. And we know, we know what we're capable of. Um, this all fall camp, you know, we are going against our defense and, and uh, we're doing good things against them. So we know what, what we have. And, and uh, but it just comes down to guys doing their job at, uh, at uh, uh, fast pace and with detail. Good answer there from from Troy Walters, and, and you know you need to lose a guy like Stanley Morgan. That's an alpha dog. That's a guy that commands attention, and and, and Divina Zigbo maybe not vocally like Stan, but we you know through his play, you knew that he was going to be a big big part to that offense. One thing that never really came to fruition for the Huskers on Saturday was rhythm. Really, the only time we saw that was the opening drive for the Huskers. They went down and scored, but. Uh, just 17 plays in the second half and you know really had a hard time getting anything going how can they improve on that here's Trey Walters you know we got to put them in the right place and that, that's a, that's on us as a coaching staff um, you know this week we're going to limit what we do and so the guys know exactly what we're going to do they can focus in and practice on the details of each play and so that we can execute you know it's all about playing fast and playing with detail and be able to execute so as a staff we've got to take a little bit off of those guys, um, rep the things that they know to know how to do, and I think if we do that, then we'll be more successful uh, Saturday. Just never really seemed to be comfortable all day out there. I thought Adrian looked hesitant. I think you're right. I think they never found the rhythm. We've talked about that this offense is a rhythm offense, and the key to every drive is that first first down. It allows you then to get it going. And so many times, first down was not good. So then they had third and long, and their third down conversion rate was not overly good last week. So it just it led to a sputtering week, and you certainly hope that that picks up here this week. Well, one of the things that a lot of fans noticed, we heard a lot of on you know different calls and, and social media, is the snapping issue that Nebraska had at center. Uh, with Cam Jurgens and you know the the reaction time that Martinez had to have to to corral those things uh, was snapping an issue Saturday in the eyes of the OC. Here's what he had to say. That's part of it. You know, you've got to, that 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 that's what starts a play is a snap, and so we've got to be better with our quarterback center exchange. Um, but uh, there were there are many other detail issues that we had, and uh, even when we had a good snap, uh, didn't seem like all 11 guys were on the same page on each play. There was one guy off in terms of detail, and this offense is not going to work with uh, 10 guys doing the right thing and one guy off. And the guys understand that. We showed them tape. We showed them where you know where one guy was off and and how it can disrupt the whole play and. And so the guys understand that, and they've come back this week with great focus and great detail and execution. Yeah, you just hope that they can they can get it figured out. A week is enough time between South Alabama and Colorado to get it figured out. There were a couple of Huskers that we watched for the first time in game in uniform. The first is a transfer over from Cal, wide receiver kind of I Noah. Here's Troy Walters talking about the Hawaiian product and what he saw from him in the first game. Yeah, he was kind of nicked up during fall camp, and uh, you know he's got to get back to shape and conditioning. But the thing about Kanavai is, is uh, he's a smart football player. Um, he doesn't have to take a whole lot of reps. He's been through the battle. He's battle tested, and so uh, you know he played his butt off in that game. And you know, didn't have any catches and stats. He didn't appear in the stat line, but he blocked his butt off, hustled. Uh, he did a great job. Made a great catch um, near me on the out of bounds in the end zone, but just couldn't quite get a foot down. In the red zone, he was targeted a few times, and he will have an impact on the offense. Just didn't quite see, you know, the translation in the stat column against South Alabama. It's just hard to grade many of these guys when you only have 17 snaps and a half of football. You just there weren't many opportunities for those guys to find it. But I'm with you. I think he's going to be a nice contributor. And although another nice contributor that we saw did did have an impact on Saturday it was Wandale Robinson, the much ballyhooed freshman. What did Troy Walters think of his pride back and what he looked like? against South Alabama. Thought he had a good day, good day. You know, uh, opening kickoff wasn't what uh, he wanted, but uh, you know, nerves, but he was all over the field, did a good job at running back, uh, made plays at the receiver position, and he's gonna keep getting better with the, uh, each game and each experience. And so uh, very pleased with him and uh, excited about what he's gonna do this week. Juan Dale's a special player. He will be a big part of this offense moving forward. And he told us after the game, you know, after that, that first, 
kickoff he dropped he said he was ready to go uh you know to get the little jitters out and the first play from scrimmage was designed for him sure was he got he got tackled by the kicker on one of the kickoffs i think he heard about that this week uh, i think coach dewitt even said yesterday he told wandale he said you know the kicker's you we don't block the kicker you're supposed to get by the kicker so they've been giving him some trouble for that yeah typically the case if that happens yeah Troy Walters, very familiar with the Colorado program, having once been over in that neck of the woods. And, you know, in this case, he's going back to Boulder. What does it mean to him to go back to the stadium in this city? He addressed that earlier today. Yeah, a lot of memories. Uh, two kids born in, in, in Boulder. Um, so, I'm, uh, you know, Colorado, is a, it's, a, it's a special place, special atmosphere. Folsom Field, the crowd, uh, Ralphie running. I mean, it, it's, it's special. So I told our guys to embrace it. Uh, you know, they don't like red there. Uh, that's one thing when I coached there, you couldn't wear anything red. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, great rivalry. And I told our guys to embrace it all, man, because it's going to be a great atmosphere. And I know there's going to be a lot of red in the stadium. And so uh, it's just, a, you know, Fox TV, national TV. It doesn't get any better than this. I kid, kid it with our players, man. I, you know, this is the type of game I dreamt of when I was, when I was a player. Uh, it doesn't get any bigger, any better, and uh, you know the guys had a good week of practice, so they should be confident, and we're confident as a staff that we're going to go out there and, and do a lot better than we did uh, last week. Shouldn't have to be a lot said from the coaches to no. the players to get him ready on Saturday. Absolutely. I think he's ready. It's pretty bizarre. He was at Colorado on that staff and then ended up joining Scott Frost and down to UCF and then coming to Lincoln for that as well. On Wednesday nights, we love to do a little spin around the leg. We call this thing the Blitz. The Big Ten Blitz, Ohio State. Here to talk to us about the Buckeyes from the Ohio State Radio Network, Matt Andrews, good friend of the program. Well, pretty good opener, right? Justin Fields got out of the gate quickly. I, I would assume most people pretty happy about the way game one went. Craig, I would agree. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, seven minutes in, it was 28 nothing. And then, but then the question became, you know, did they hold back? Were they not executing properly as the next two quarters went? Because they got sluggish. But but all in all, yes, a great opener uh, against a team, I think, that will win four or five games. But certainly uh, as good as they were to start, enough of, a, of an area to improve upon going into week two against the Bearcats. Were they able to get some backups into the game, Matt, and, and develop oh, yeah. some depth? Yeah, and, and that's the thing, Greg, we've heard all camp is, and, and from almost every assistant coach to a man, the depth that they think they have and the depth that they tried to use once it became 28 nothing very quickly. And uh, I think Larry Johnson said they played 11 defensive linemen, maybe 12. Uh, that They got uh, 8 to 10 offensive tackles slash guards. Uh, a, 25 to 40 plays. They were rotating it pretty, pretty significantly as that first uh, first half wound down and into the third quarter. All right, everybody looking at Justin Fields. Tell me about the defense. How did they look in your eyes? Well, that's the thing that stuck out to uh, stood out to me most, Greg. Uh, a lot of you know certainly questions about how the scheme might differ with Greg Madison and uh, with Jeff Halfley taking over for Greg Schiano and, and, and that that was a fair question. And uh, according to the people that really know the X's and O's, and from what we could just see, they seemed to be running to the ball more. They seemed quicker. They seemed more instinctual. Uh, it, it was very impressive. At one point, in fact, at halftime, Florida A&M, uh, Florida Atlantic, I'm sorry, had minus 14 yards of total offense. Mm. And, and then they started rotating some guys in the second half, but, but they did. The Scarlet and Gray looked much better on defense. All right, let's turn the page. This week, pretty interesting matchup, I would think, in the Buckeyes' day with Luke Fickle and Cincinnati coming to town. There's got to be a little buzz for this game, I would imagine. There is. And, and, and I know folks are thinking, well, when are you going to play somebody in the non-conference? And keep in mind, TCU is supposed to be on the schedule, but the Jerry World uh, idea made that neutral last year. But, but Cincinnati is pretty much the standout on the, on the non-conference schedule. Uh, Luke Fickle, former head coach here, former player here, former assistant here. 21 years of his life spent with the Buckeyes, whether it be coach or player. And, and he comes here, and he was asked Monday at his press conference, you know, how it will be for him, and he said it's very unemotional. And I think he realized he's got to separate himself from the emotion of this moment. Look, anybody that knows Luke knows it will be emotional, but he can't let that be seen. He has buckled it up. There'll be no player availability for the Bearcats. 
Uh, they're coming here to win this game, and he will throw everything and then some at the Buckeyes for sure. That team looked decent to me against UCLA mm-hmm. in their opener. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and now I think the defense, he seemed a little bit unimpressed, Luke did, in terms of his comments uh, about them. I'm sure there's going to be things defensively that Ohio State's not expecting. But offensively, uh, they've got a great quarterback. I say great. They've got a very good quarterback and a very good running back. And they make UCLA, frankly, look bad. And maybe that is the case. But some of it had to do with the Bearcats on a big uh, home field advantage that night. How will Fickle be treated at the shoe? Will he be booed? Oh, he's beloved. Is oh, he? no. No, no, no. Remember remember the uh, the infamous Joe Bowserman game there at your place when he relieved uh, Braxton Miller? I say infamous because that's what they call it here. Uh, in 2011, I think, when the, when the Huskers beat the Buckeyes. You know, a lot of people believe Luke got a shorthand when he was uh, put into the position he was following Jim Tressel's resignation, if you will. And so the Buckeye fans love him. I would imagine, I would imagine if there's a moment for Luke Fickle, there'll be 90 to 100,000 people just roaring their approval for him. All right, 11 a.m. kickoff central time on ABC, the Buckeyes and the Bearcats. Matt Andrews, great stuff as always. Thank you, sir. Good talk to you, pal. Maryland. And here to talk about the Terps, Jeff Ehrman from Maryland 24-7. Wow, Maryland 79, Howard nothing. What'd you learn about the Terps in, in week one, Jeff? Yeah, you know, it's hard to learn too much from a game against such an overmatched opponent. But, you know, the good thing is, obviously, they didn't play down to the competition, as the final score indicates. Uh, they were very sharp for the first game of the year. No turnovers. Pitched a shutout. Quarterback play was excellent. Josh Jackson, the transfer from Virginia Tech, looked really good considering he, you know, he hasn't played in, in quite a while. So, you know, all things considered, it, 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 it's hard to – it's hard to uh, – it's hard to criticize too much at the same time though there's that caveat that it was Howard and who knows how that translates against a real opponent. Well, that, that changes this week. Here come the Orange. Syracuse comes into Maryland. Um, this one's got my attention. I think I think this has a chance to be one of the better games of the weekend in college football. Give me your thoughts on this matchup. I think it is, you know, on paper one of the better games of the weekend. Syracuse opened as a four-point favorite and Excuse me. Now, now the line has shifted all the way to Maryland, minus 2.5. So obviously, there's a lot of other people who agree with you on it being a close game. Syracuse is ranked 20 and number 20 in the country. Maryland hasn't beaten a ranked home team at home in nine years. You know, there's a little bit of a asterisk next to that because they did beat Texas last year. It just wasn't in their stadium. It was in D.C. But uh, Syracuse, you know, they, obviously they have a lot of hype coming off last year in the first game. They weren't didn't play very well offensively, so that's a big question mark. Uh, Maryland's offensive line wasn't great in the first game. Syracuse has a pretty good pass rush. So, you know, on paper, it's a, it's a really close matchup. I know that the two teams, for just a brief time, were the member of the same leagues. Is there much of a rivalry between these two? There's not really a rivalry between the two. I would say the only thing close to a rivalry is the fact that there's a lot of Syracuse alums in D.C., so there's a lot of overlap between the two alumni bases and they're both really strong basketball schools so they keep up on each other in that way but football wise Syracuse was kind of coming as Maryland was leaving in the ACC so there's not really much of a rivalry there all right um road game win for for Syracuse last week at Liberty um what do the Maryland coaches feel like are some of the keys for a win on Saturday what do they need to do to beat the Q's well, they need the offensive line has to play better. You know, despite the score, it wasn't that crisp in the opening game. Uh, Howard threw the kitchen sink at them, though, so you know that's a little bit tricky in, in uh, evaluating that. But you know, I think the pass rush is the big thing. They want to be back. He's just in his second career start. Was really shaky in his first pick. I think five yards per attempt and through two touchdowns or excuse me two interceptions uh and slowing the several good running backs but you know that's, i think the issue marks are on the offensive line and uh getting a pass rush defensively they got eight sacks against howard but again an overmatched line so you know it's cliche to say but i think it could be decided on, on both lines jeff okay this is the game coming out of game day will there be a good atmosphere what what do you imagine for an attendance crowd what what will the spirit what will the spirit be like in the stadium yeah, it's funny you ask. That's a big topic of conversation this week. Maryland really hasn't had a lot of 
buzz surrounding a football game in a while, you know, last year being uh, an uh, egregious exception, or I shouldn't say exception, egregious example of that with all the off-field turmoil they had. You know, the attendance wasn't good at all for obvious reasons before that. You know, under Randy Edsel, they weren't really very exciting to watch. And so, you know, there's been a lot of apathy, but you can sense kind of the buzz. Tickets are, the prices are creeping up more than usual. Um, and Lafayette's done a really good job of engaging the fans, engaging the students, and trying to get them to feel like they have a, some ownership of this team now. So, you know, I don't think it'll be a sellout, but I would say 40,000 plus is realistic, which, you know, is a pretty good crowd just considering where Maryland's coming from after last year. Jeff Berman from Maryland 24 7 with our preview of the Terps hosting Syracuse 11 a.m. Central on ESPN. Illinois. And here to tell us all about the Illini, our good friend Steve Kelly from the Illinois Network. Illinois, very impressive. Akron, 42-3. to I would guess the grades, if you took a grade card out, it would have to be pretty good grades for the opener, Steve. I think that's right, Greg. Uh, Akron uh, to finish about fifth in the Eastern Division of the Mid-American Conference, so they've got some rebuilding to do. But uh, Illinois dominated all the way through, gave up just the field goal, gave up uh, under 200 yards, Total offense to the zips in the ball game, and uh, a couple of storylines. One was the defense uh, doing that job and, and looking uh, much more experienced than it has in the past. Of course, you remember they started the whole lunch in the last couple of years. So those guys are a graduate transfer from Michigan, who has two years of eligibility remaining. Started and went most of the way at quarterback. He was 14 for 23, 103 yards, three touchdown passes. He also rushed for a 20-yard score in his debut for uh, the Fighting Illini. So offensively, uh, things look pretty good. Illinois rushed for just over two heads with not uh, one guy standing out. Reggie Corbin, last year's leading rusher with over 1,000 knee injuries. Well, that's just... It's kind of like Mikey Dudek. You just guy can't catch a break with that. That's just that's awful to hear that. We were following that quarterback race from afar here, Steve. I, a little bit surprised that Peters won the race, but as you said, he was pretty darn efficient in the opener. I guess maybe that's why he won the job. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's 6'5", 220, and very efficient. Got a good, strong arm, and he moves around a little better than uh, I think a lot of people thought. They, they thought he was more of a pocket to pro-style uh, pro quarterback, and maybe in the big picture he is but uh actually the quarterback race turned out to not be that close they've got a highly touted freshman in isaiah williams out of uh, st louis trinity catholic high school he was in the mix he did not play in the game against akron i do expect him to play maybe this week as you know with the new redshirt rules they can they can play up in four games and still retain the redshirt uh, possibility so i'm guessing we'll see isaiah williams at some point here Okay, let's turn the page. This week it is at UConn, so a road game for the Illini, and maybe for one of the few times in quite a while, Illinois favored to win a road game. Size up this matchup for us. Yeah, they're a heavy favorite. They're about a three-touchdown favorite. UConn defensively last year, I think, was last, if not next to the last in, in the country, and Illinois wasn't much better. But UConn was one team that was was worse defensively last year, and they went 1-11 and on the season. They're coached by Randy Edsel in his second stint at UConn. Of course, he was at Maryland for a while. But uh, Illinois should uh, win their first road game. This is an interesting note. First road non-conference win since 2007 when Illinois went to Syracuse and wanted to carry your dome and went on to play in the Rose Bowl that year. So it's been a while since the Illini have won a non-conference game on the road and they're a heavy favorite to get it done in East Hartford, Connecticut. All right, Illinois on the road this week taking on UConn, it's a 2.30 kickoff central time, and you can find that game on the CBS Sports Network. Great stuff from Steve Kelly from the Illinois Network. Steve, thank you, and looking forward to seeing you in Champaign in a couple of weeks. Won't be long. Thank you, Greg. Let's do it. Buy, sell. It's time to buy or sell. Buy sell is brought to you by Famous Dave's, your perfect catering choice for business lunches, meetings, weddings, parties, and more. Treat your guests to authentic smoked daily barbecue, made from scratch sides, and award-winning desserts. Famous Dave's, we do catering right. Now here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Brett Witte and Josh Hilkeman. 
Well, Brett was gone last week. He always loves the end of seasons to be here to hand out the uh, the little certificates to you guys. Brett, did you hear how it ended? I don't know if you knew what, how the results turned out. Uh, no. Uh, please, please refresh my <laughs> my brain here. What, what what happened? I have right here a first place certificate. Oh, so Greg got first place. All right. <laughs> wow. I did. I didn't see that one coming. That's because you took ga- game week off. <laughs> Jeez, all right. Well, Brett, you also missed uh, the answer to the, the fantasy baseball oh, question. Oh, yeah. How'd that one go down, guys? You you, you seemed pretty confident that I wasn't going to do so hot in fantasy. But, yeah, congratulations. Uh, your boy's playing for first place right now. So. Good job, Brett. Thank, hey, Ben. I know that hurts to say, but I appreciate the uh, the forced, <laughs> forced of congratulations. I would talk about my fantasy matchup, but I am not going to win this week. So Okay. There we'll you just go. leave that alone. Fair play. All right. Great stuff. Well, let's jump into the first answers that we have here in Season 12 of Buy, Sell. And the first one comes from Husker Football. That one was buy or sell that one of Nebraska's first five plays from scrimmage will be 30 yards or longer. The answer was a sell, but barely. The longest play in those first five was 17 yards, but the sixth play from scrimmage for the Huskers was 42 yards. Long pass play to Jack Stoll, so it was a playoff, and it was a sell. Ben, you sold it, and we're right. Greg, wrong with a buy. Man, I knew I, I was as I was. I thought about that question when we had the long pass to Jack Stoll. <laughs> I had forgotten about it. It's that was a pretty good line. <laughs> I love that in the middle of play by play, Greg, yeah, you're I'm thinking like, about oh, buy sell. What buy <laughs> sell? <that>? Buy sell. <laughs> My whole life. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. One playoff. Yep. There you go. All Dang. Right. Sticking with a little Husker football here by ourselves, that Nebraska would outgain South Alabama by at least 225 offensive yards. Uh, That ended up being a sell. South Alabama themselves outgained Nebraska by 38 yards. You guys both thought that and were both incorrect. Not close. How about that? You saw that coming. What a terrible line. (laughs) I mean, they both bought it, so (laughs) that's all that matters. All right. Uh, moving on to Husker Volleyball with our next answer by ourselves that Nebraska would have a player total 30 kills between the two matches this past weekend against Creighton and UCLA. The answer was a sell. Lexi Sun led the Huskers in kills between the two matches with 25, so five short. Greg, you sold it and were right. Ben, wrong with a buy. I believed. Sorry. And it, it kind of played out the way we thought. We said that we thought Creighton might get a set. That yeah. happened. So that even made it more likely, but I, I, I went against the grain. Yeah, there would have need to have been at least one more set play, right. probably two for Sun to get up to 30. All right, hopping back over to football here, but the college seen by ourselves that the winner of the Oregon-Auburn game would outscore their opponent in both the first and second half. That ended up being a sell. Auburn was outscored 14-6 to in the first half, but... Uh, but they outscored Oregon 21 to seven in the second half. Uh, you guys both sold that and were both correct. I was like, that was a really good football game. Yeah, it was really, really good game. Good work. Another college football question here by ourselves that there would be at least 18 touchdowns scored in the Houston, Oklahoma and Notre Dame Louisville games on Sunday and Monday. The answer, I was surprised when I looked this up. It was actually a buy and it was exactly 18 touchdowns Whoa. scored between those games. Houston, Oklahoma had 11. Notre Dame, Louisville finished with seven touchdowns between the two teams, so it was a bye. Ben, you rooted for offense and you got it, right? Greg, you're wrong with us wow. out. Can we take a second to talk about how that Oklahoma game ended? <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. The they were ready to kill the clock. They had their backups in. Yeah. Dana Holgerson calls timeout after first down when they're trying to kill the clock. Oklahoma running back, backup running back, pops like a 60-yarder to get down to like the 11-yard line, and they score on the next play with like 40 seconds left in the game. Yeah. And that's the difference right there. (laughs) Think about that. You've won two questions over me. One was the Jack Stoll play capping one snap later, and then that finished there. I also lost one by only five kills too. So Five kills is quite a bit. Like Josh said, it might have taken more than a set. No, one set would have done it. There you go. All right, and moving on to a little Major League Baseball by ourselves that the Twins would break the single-season team record for uh, home runs before September 11th. That ended up being a bye. They broke it on August 31st. You guys both bought it and were both correct there. Smashed it. Not even close. They had six home runs and a loss on last Saturday to, to get it done. They have to say the loss. But yeah. Crazy how much they've 
muscled up this year. It's yeah. crazy. Still not the best record. You're going to win the division, though, yep. as True. predicted by you. You. You were the only one. The only one. Take it I, also had the, I also had the Rockies winning the NOS. So. Well, we won't talk no. about that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our last answer here in week one of season 12 comes from U.S. Open Tennis by herself that Serena Williams would sweep her next two matches in rounds two and three of the U.S. Open. That was a sell. She actually lost the very first set that she played right after we asked the question last Wednesday and she, since then and before that. So she, she swept all four of her other matches that she's played, but the second yeah, round. Yeah, talk about luck. Second there you round. Go. Not luck. She got beat. Was it a, what was the One set? set. Yeah, but anyway, so Greg, you sold it and we're right, been wrong with a bye. So we both lost close ones. Yeah. Well, I don't know how that close. It happened the very first, but then she won all the rest of them. I mean, the whole time. Jack Snow was one snap. (laughs) One snap, one set. Call it even. Call it a wash. Dana Holgerson calling the dang timeout. That that one's the most fluky one of all. That probably should not have happened. Although it's a pretty good line. uh, Money. She lost seven five in that in that. Yeah, wasn't even a tiebreaker. Please, tell yourself what you need to tell yourself. Anyway, through all of that, you guys both went four of seven on the week, and you're tied here to start out season twelve. Neck and neck. Benny did not go over one hundred percent like you did last season. That's okay. I lost last season, so maybe it's bad. (laughs) Bad bad luck to start out one hundred and ten percent. I don't have to start from behind like I've always had to. Well, there you go. Okay, let's let's jump into some new questions for the week. And we start, of course, with Husker football. Buy or sell that there is a defensive or special teams touchdown in the Nebraska-Colorado game. Either that, side. Yeah, it doesn't matter each side. Okay. Um, I'm going to sell that. Did Nebraska uh, get all of them out of their system here in week one? Yeah, I feel like the odds on that. We, I feel like we went over the odds. It's like, was it? We thinking like 35%, 30, 35% that it happened. And Nebraska scored three of them yeah. last week. I'm going to sell it as well. Okay. There you go. No uh, risk takers in the no house tonight, takers. I guess. All right. Uh, sticking with Husker football by our sell that Nebraska has a player with more rushing or receiving yards than LaVisca Chenault has receiving yards. <laughs> All-purpose yards. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it. If it was all-purpose yards, I'd buy it. Okay. And it could be. It can be anybody. It can. It could be Adrian Martinez rushing yards. Not passing, obviously, doesn't count. But if he had 150 rushing yards and Chenault has 140 receiving yards, that would count. really want to be different but I don't think I can I'm gonna sell this one as well all right very good moving on to Husker volleyball next by or sell that Nebraska wins one of their matches this weekend by a combined 22 points mm. between the sets basically plus 22 in one of the matches I don't know how good these teams are they're playing Arizona and San Diego uh 22 Plus 22. So that's an average of seven per set, a little over seven, if they sweep. Uh, I'll buy it. Okay. I'm buying two. Hey, copycat. It's <laughs> week two. Calm down. It's already started. Wow. Uh-huh. Love it. You were the one that... I went out on a limb on that answer. No, I I got faith in volleyball. All right. I bought the last volleyball question, too. Yeah, you did. You have an advantage on me because you you saw John Cook last night. I didn't see him. Yeah. We went over these these questions yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) You knew what they would be before they were even asked. All right, uh, moving back over to some college football buyers sell that Texas and Texas A&M stay within a combined 29 points of LSU and Clemson. Good question. That's a good question. A&M is at Clemson. Texas is at home. According to that one dude for A&M, they're going to beat Clemson. I'm going to buy it. I think the Texas game's close, and 
I don't know that Clemson just smashes them. I think they're going to win by a couple scores, but I think it's within that, that margin. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to sell it. I think it's closer than 29. That was a copycat. So you're you're buying because then it, it's buy or sell that they stay within 29. Oh, yeah. Yeah, then I'm buying. Yeah, okay. I'm buying too. Yep, you're both buying. All right, got it. Another uh, college football question. Buy or sell that a Big Ten team wins a game by at least 43 points this weekend. Let me go over the schedule here. Maybe it'll be Maryland by winning by 79 again. Maybe. Rutgers at Iowa. What's the spread? 43 or more. Not there. Syracuse, Maryland, not there. Michigan Army. Don't think so. That's double the spread. Ohio State, Cincinnati. Nope. Vandy, Purdue. Illinois, UConn. Eastern Illinois at Indiana. Nebraska's game. Central Michigan at Wisconsin. That could threaten it. Western Michigan at Michigan State. Michigan State just they can't score, score enough. Buffalo at Penn State. Buffalo's a lot better than Idaho. Yeah. Minnesota at Fresno. 43 is the line? Yep. Mm, nope. So, okay. I'll buy it. And it's going to be... Call your shot. Yeah, call it. Illinois. Ooh, I like... At Connecticut, huh? By more uh, than 43? That rock... The line's like 40. No, it's not that much. I think it's like 37, but yeah. Close. Yeah, that raucous atmosphere in Storrs, Connecticut. Steve Illinois Kelly sold you on it. They're going to go in there with a silent count because it'll be silent in there. <laughs> and they're going to dominate. What kind of? Let's go back a question, can we? What kind of scores sure. do you see from those Texas games? I could see. I think Texas is going to play LSU within a field goal. So do I. And they might win. Right. Um, A&M is the one that could. 17 to 24. Okay, so like a 42-24 game? Yeah, yeah. 42-21. I don't know. People are quick to write off Adrian Martinez. Maybe we should do the same with Trevor Lawrence. He wasn't great, was he? Maybe we ought to bury him for a while. Well, you did on our top ten list. <laughs> no, I didn't. I did. I did. He wasn't on my list. He was Josh on mine. But he was on yeah. mine. Huh. He, he is not one of the most he exciting was players in college football. All right. There well, you go. I had ETN, his running back, who popped yeah. a 90 yarder. That was exciting. He's pretty, pretty good. good. That was way more exciting <laughs> right. than anything Trevor Lawrence did. Wow. He's decent. All right. Well, uh, one last call. Are we born, Brett, you think? I don't know. He yeah, seems he like was, he's kind of bored of he kind of, When you guys said that you were going to start talking, you wanted to go back a question, he kind of like hung Rolled his, his eyes, <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, come on. I could <laughs> tell he was doing that. Not happening. All right. We don't even have the cameras on back here, but you, you, could, you could tell. All right. I, I could feel the eye roll from in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's just keep making stuff up here and move on to our next college football <laughs> question by ourselves. That Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts attempt to combine 35 passes or more in their games on Saturday. <laughs> Tua and who? Jalen. Tua Jaylen. and Jalen. Oklahoma's got, Former is it teams. like, Oklahoma's Western got like Michigan. South Dakota. Isn't it? Uh, yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. And who does Bam- Bama's got? New, New Mexico, Mexico State. Mexico, yeah. It's a tough one. Okay, so give me the numbers 35. again. 35. 35 combined passes. They get 35 passes in combined before they're pulled in the third quarter. That's a great question. 35. Can they throw 18 apiece? Yeah, and we're talking attempts here, not even completions. Yeah. I'm selling. I don't think they get there. I, see, I, I I couldn't see Tua throwing maybe more than about 12 or 13 because they're going to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Right. Oklahoma, though, their offense is throw, and they're going to want Hurts to get more reps, especially how bad he played last week. <laughs> <laughs> 35 is the number? Yeah. Yes. About 18 apiece. I want to be different, but I can't. I got to sell it. All right. I think it's just under that. I think it's like a 32. Okay. Very good. Well, we have an NFL regular season Ooh. question coming up next, and nice. it's a game that is taking place tomorrow night. Fire sell that the team 
that scores first in the Packers-Bears game wins by three points or more. Team that scores first wins by three or more. Yep. Packers will score first. Bears will win the game. All right, so that is a sell from Greg. Dang it. Well, I'll be different on this one just because. So I'll buy it. Yeah, love it. Packers score first. Packers win the game. Man. It's in Chicago. By seven. Khalil Mack's going to be all, all over right. Aaron Rodgers. No, he's not. You better not hurt him. Is he on your fantasy team or something? Maybe. Okay. Well, I'm not definitely not a Packer fan. <laughs> <laughs> You've been going to games there. Yeah. One. You go to games at Lambeau Field. Yeah, you're, you're a big Packer fan. One game. Man. And that was Packer. the game Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. And guess who that was against? The Bears. The Bears. The Bears. <laughs> I, I, I got to watch Seneca Wallace play quarterback Ooh. for the Green Bay Packers that night. Nice. That's fun. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, moving on. Another NFL question. Are you bored, Brad? You okay? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm doing well. It's uh, This is very interesting. Uh, staying with the <laughs> NFL buyer still at the Rams, Saints, Patriots, and Chiefs all win their games on Sunday or score at least 115 points combined. So we already knew Greg's answer here. It's an or, though, not an and. Oh, true. It is not a parlay. No parlay to be had here. All right. Yeah. Give me the teams again, though. The four, the the four, four championship yeah. teams. Yes. Okay. Four championship teams. All favored. Well, we know the Chiefs are winning for sure. And right. Score. And I they, don't know. I'm going to buy it because the Chiefs know. are going to score 150 <laughs> by themselves. <laughs> and the, okay. the point total is 10. 115. 155. Okay. 115. All right. I'm looking up the matchups here. We got the Rams at the Panthers. Yep. They're going to be playing that in a hurricane. So that will right. be no offense there. All right. But who wins? They're not all. Is this my question or yours? It's Which actually. I already answered. Oh, you bought. You bought. They're not all going to win. One of the four loses. Okay, okay but do so they get now? To I got to decide about one fifteen. Chiefs will struggle to score against the Jags, just like last year, right? So okay, the Patriots play the Steelers. Is that it? Foxborough. Yep. Yeah, that is. That's the Sunday night game. So they score. The Saints play the Texans. That's the Monday night game. Yeah, one of the Monday night games. We've got double right, barrel action. Two. One fifteen was that come out? Like 30, 30 a team, about. Yeah, a little under that. That's good math. You bought it? Yeah. Good for you. I'm selling it. <laughs> Whoa. Somebody loses, and they only score 98 points. 98. I'm writing combined. that down. You get an extra point if you I kind of feel like the shot clock expired on that one, but <laughs> we'll give it to you. Wow. If Tim was here, he would have knocked you down there. Yeah. Love it. Okay, Major League Baseball with our next question. By ourselves that there will be a team who scores at least 15 runs in a game between tomorrow and the end of play next Tuesday. Yep. This is the time of year, 40-man rosters, you're getting some ugly games. Although now with 40-man rosters, the teams have more pitching. True. Um, so I'm going to rethink that. I'm going to sell it. Oh, I'll cross that out. Because now you got more pitchers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it. There's been a lot of offense lately in Major League Baseball. You're not going to see Alex Gordon Do tonight's games again. count? No, starting okay. tomorrow. Why, you got a big one going right now? No, I'm just curious. I just didn't know if tonight's game. Because there's still no. a handful tonight. Yeah. Right, there's a couple later on tonight, including the Dodgers who score 15 runs on a regular basis. Right. And the Nationals who have been murdering the ball. Yeah. All right, uh, we're wrapping up with a little tennis question here yes. by ourselves that the <laughs> men's and women's U.S. Open winners have a combined seeding of 13 or more. A lot of high seeds left on the women's side. Yes. Correct. Um, so... Yeah, you have the the two seed on the men's side, Rafa and Adal, and you also have the five seed there. You have the five and the eight on the women's side still left. But you also the have total? a 15 and a 13 that are in the semis. Correct. The so side. the total is, will it be uh, 13 or more? And so you have a couple of different combinations that could happen that would if, keep it under that. If Serena and Rafa win, it's under 13. 
Right. What's Serena the eight? No, she's the eight. Yeah. Yeah, she's the eight. So you basically have three combinations that would that it would work with. Give me the underdogs. So you are buying that it's over thirteen. Right, that it's over thirteen. I am under. So you're selling. Rafa's gonna win the men. That's two. Two. Who's winning the women's side? It's gotta um, be the five or the eight. Who's the five? Uh, when they play, she and Serena play, right in I, the semis. So I'm looking here, hang on. Yeah, they they play tomorrow, right? I think the winner of that semi is going to win the women's side. Gotcha. So yeah, it's El- we go. Elena Svitolina. Ooh, I like her. She's really skilled. <laughs> She's the one dating Gail Monfils. Gail Monfils. Yeah. You guys dropped that knowledge on me we earlier did. today. We're yeah. just always full of little nuggets. We love tennis. Here. So does Brett. Brett loves buy sell. I know he does. <laughs> it's his favorite thing. Welcome back. Sports Alley Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, we like to talk to our Major League Insider. Let's do it. His voice will sound familiar. And Neville's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, a rare, I mean rare off day for Major League Baseball teams is Wednesday, but that's what the Brewers had. So what did Lane Grindle do on your off day? We did some fishing today, man. It's it's September and uh, it was like 67 degrees. I mean, it was perfect fishing today. And um, so we got out. We, we went to Pewaukee Lake, and then we ended up uh, not having a lot of luck there. So we transitioned to a little farm pond across the road from our house, and, and we got after them today. It was a good day. All right. Well, well done. You uh, had a, just finished a brief two-game series with the Houston Astros, a team that certainly looks like it's built for the playoffs your impressions of, of that group now that you've seen them in person for a couple games? They're really good. I mean, we've seen them for four over the total of the year. Um, they've had some injuries off and on this year, but they're so good and so deep that those injuries really they haven't had a huge impact on them. I mean, Correa's been, been on and off the IL over the course of the year. Altuve was hurt earlier this year when we were down in Houston to play them. Um, but they're really good. I mean, obviously Verlander has found the fountain of youth. Um, Garrett Cole looks like the Garrett Cole we saw when he was with UCLA, Greg. You know, he wasn't throwing that hard in Pittsburgh anymore. I mean, he was still throwing hard, but not like what we saw when he was at UCLA, throwing 98-99, hitting some 100s. He's back to doing that again, and he looks really good. And Wade Miley, who was, of course, with the Brewers last year, he's pitching well for them. And then now they've got Zach Greinke in the fold. And for whatever reason, Zach Greinke just can't pitch well against the Brewers. But he pitched pretty well against everybody else. So they're good. I, I, I think they're the favorite in the American League to me. I, I know the Yankees will have a lot to say about that. Twins are certainly a really good team. The Indians have been playing well. But I'd have a hard time picking anybody but the Astros in the American League right now. You, you just missed Verlander, who, oh, by the way, threw another no-hitter on Sunday. Isn't it remarkable? It almost seems like he's maybe better now than he was three, four years ago. I think in, in to some degree, you know, he, he might be. I think the front office in Houston is so good analytically that they understand how to give you the information you need to process – what pitch you need to throw in. And I think that's that's been a big thing for, for Verlander. He, he He's not throwing his – I mean, he still throws hard. Um, but he's – you know, I remember when he was a Tiger and he'd come into Kansas City and he'd be throwing 100, 101, 102 on pitches 107 and 108 in the eighth inning at Kaufman. He, he's not that guy anymore, but he still throws in those mid-90s. And he, he still mixes in the secondary stuff that, that's very good. But, man, he's getting a lot of strikeouts. He's giving up a lot of home runs, but that's also just – I mean, that's that's baseball today. I think everybody's giving up more home runs. But he's getting a lot of strikeouts, and he kind of sets the tone for that team in the clubhouse. He's he's a very serious, very competitive guy, and those guys come to play every single day. But late yesterday in the game, is he going to be okay for them? Sounds like just going to be a couple of days for him. Um, he went back and made a really nice catch on a on a ball brawn hit to deep center onto the warning track. And on his way down, he hit the back of his head and kind of neck on the padding 
uh, on the lower part of the wall out there in center field. And, and it was bad. They took him off on a stretcher. Um, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be any long-term thing with George Springer. So uh, I, I think that he'll he'll escape any kind of you know extended absence out of the Astros lineup. But again, they're so deep; they don't have to rush him. They're I mean, they're going to win 100 games with or without him the rest of the way. They're going to win the West, and so they can take their time with those kind of injuries right now. They have that benefit. You're you're with a team that's in a playoff hunt. It is after September 1st, which means the rosters can expand to 40. What does a team that's in the hunt do? Do they approach this and with the additions to the roster differently than a team that's probably out of it by now? Um, it's different for every team because some teams have some teams have uh, you know such a strong twenty-five man roster with no real uh, weaknesses, and so they may add a few arms. Everybody's going to add a few arms because you always want to have extra arms if you can. You don't want to get caught where you're behind and you're throwing somebody out there in a dangerous situation. So you're always going to have arms. But um, some teams maybe will only add three or four guys. They don't want to mess up everything, right? They've got this great chemistry. Everything's rolling along fine. It's extra room in the locker room. And when you go up to 33, 34, 35 guys, all of a sudden the locker room's a little bit more packed. The plane's a little bit more packed. And some teams don't want to mess with that that much. There are teams that, from a development standpoint, want to get those younger guys up. They want to get them at bats. They want to get them looks. And those are more your your Kansas City Royals, Detroit Tigers teams. And so they'll expand their rosters to 34, 35, 36 sometimes in those situations if they have younger guys on their 40-man roster that they want to give a look to. And then there seems like the Brewers, where the Brewers – their strength is in numbers. They have a lot of major league quality arms. They don't have a lot of Justin Verlanders. And so the best way for the Brewers, and it's been something Craig Council has been a master at the last few years, the way for them to kind of even the playing field a little bit is in September, bring up those extra arms and a few position players here and there too to cover you on double switches and things of that nature but to bring those extra arms up. And now you can, ma- you, can, you can match it up a little bit. The Brewers play longer games in September because we will make more pitching changes and we will play a lot more matchups with it. But it's kind of Craig Council's playground, and he's made it work for him. So every team has a different uh, approach to it, I think. But if you have guys that are major league quality guys and you can put them on your roster and you think there's an off chance they can help you in the right situation, then you're going to get them up here if you're in the hunt. Lane Grindle, our Major League Baseball insider with us here on Sports Nightly. It's crazy, but I think everybody now is inside of 25 games to go. Now now it kind of turns into a bit of a sprint, doesn't it, from here to the end of the season? Yeah, yeah it, it does. I mean, every loss you have hurts when you're in it, especially when you're when you're chasing. Yeah. And, you know, the Brewers, to use them as an example, they're chasing right now. So Monday they lose in extra innings. To the Astros, Garrett Cole was masterful, but the Brewers hit the ninth-inning home run from Yelich. They force extra innings, and then they lost, and then the Cardinals and the Cubs win, and you, you know it just that all that compounds itself, and it just and then yesterday you win, but neither team loses, and 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 it's that's just that's what September baseball is. There's going to be plenty of other situations where the where the the Brewers win and the Cubs lose. It could be this weekend when they're playing each other. But um, everything's magnified right now. Every little mistake hurts a little bit more, a little harder to get over. Um, but that's also fun. Eric Thames had a great quote last night where he said, it's, September baseball is like having a bird in your hand. You don't want to squeeze it so tight that you kill it, but you also don't want to hold it so lightly that it flies away. And there's a little bit of a delicate balance there because if you if you press too much, then you get into that quicksand thing where the game kind of beats you. But if you um, try to be too relaxed with it all and you don't realize that, look, there's 25 games left, you're going to wake up and the season's going to be over. So um, there's a little bit of a balance there with baseball that you have to play. Probably not dissimilar to a golfer on the back nine on Sunday, right? I mean, you want to understand what the moment is, but if you let the moment get to you, that might be too late. All right. You you alluded to it. You have the Cubs coming in for four beginning tomorrow, correct? (laughs) That's right. It'll be uh, a big series. It's always a, a pretty crazy atmosphere when, when the Cubs come to town. And, you know, I said it last weekend when the Brewers and Cubs played three at Wrigley, it's, it's an opportunity for the team that's trailing 
to get some games back and, and pull closer in the standings. It was also an opportunity for the team that's out in front to, you know, put the fork in that other team. And the Brewers were able to be the team that caught some ground or made some ground up on the Cubs last weekend. And that's what they're going to be trying to do again. They really need to take three out of four. Uh, they're four games back right now, the Cubs for that second wild card. If they could take three out of four, then you're two games back with a ton of baseball left. And you're not, even if you split, it's not the end of the world. You're still in it. But if you lose three out of tougher, I mean, that's just where you're at in the season right now. Yeah, very good. All right, well, enjoy the rest of your day off, and we'll talk again next week. All right, Greg. Appreciate it, man. Well, tomorrow night here on the program, we'll hear from Scott Frost. He'll have his final media session before the game, so we'll have a practice report for you in the first hour. It is the night of our football radio show, and tomorrow night, defensive coordinator Eric Chenander will be here in the second hour of the show, so certainly get your comments, questions ready for uh, Eric Chenander. He'll be here for an hour tomorrow night talk Husker football. We'll check with we as we do each and every week with Teddy Greenside of the Chicago Tribune, get his thoughts. He did a football doubleheader himself this past weekend. He started out in Palo Alto, watched that Northwestern game with Stanford, then made his way to Louisville to see the Cardinals and the Irish play on Monday night. We'll get his take on those two uh, matchups to see what he's got planned for this weekend. He might be headed to West Lafayette to see Purdue and Vanderbilt play this weekend. I'm just I'm guessing on that, but that may be what he ends up doing. Our Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. That's going to put a wrap on tonight's show. Thanks to Lane for being a part of this hour. All of our contributors for the Big Ten Blitz. And we heard from Troy Walters in our practice report in hour number one. Thanks to Ben, to Josh, to Brett, and to all of you. Have a great night. We'll do this again tomorrow. Good night.